chapter forty seven part six of supplements to the fourth book from the world as will and idea volume three by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter forty one on death and its relation to the indestructibility of our true nature part six the conception of ceasing to be is certainly applicable to man as a phenomenon in time and empirical knowledge plainly presents death as the end of this temporal existence the end of the person is just as real as was its beginning and in the same sense as before birth we were not after death we shall be no more yet no more can be destroyed by death than was produced by birth thus not that through which birth first became possible in this sense natus et denatus is a beautiful expression but now the whole of empirical knowledge affords us merely phenomena therefore only phenomena are involved in the temporal processes of coming into being and passing away and not that which manifests itself in the phenomena the thing in itself for this the opposition of coming into being and passing away conditioned by the brain does not exist at all but has here lost meaning and significance it thus remains untouched by the temporal end of a temporal phenomenon and constantly retains that existence to which the conceptions of beginning end and continuance are not applicable but the thing in itself so far as we can follow it is in every phenomenal being the will of this being so also in man consciousness on the other hand consists in knowledge but knowledge as activity of the brain and consequently as function of the organism belongs as has been sufficiently proved to the mere phenomenon and therefore ends with this the will alone whose work or rather whose image was the body is that which is indestructible the sharp distinction of will from knowledge together with the primacy of the former which constitutes the fundamental characteristic of my philosophy is therefore the only key to the contradiction which presents itself in so many ways and arises ever anew in every consciousness even the most crude that death is our end and that yet we must be eternal and indestructible thus the sentimus experimurque nos aeternos esse of spinoza all philosophers have erred in this they place the metaphysical the indestructible the eternal element in man in the intellect it lies exclusively in the will which is entirely different from the intellect and alone is original the intellect as was most fully shown in the second book is a secondary phenomenon and conditioned by the brain therefore beginning and ending with this the will alone is that which conditions the kernel of the whole phenomenon consequently free from the forms of the phenomenon to which time belongs thus also indestructible accordingly with death consciousness is certainly lost but not that which produced and sustained consciousness life is extinguished but not the principle of life also which manifested itself in it therefore a sure feeling informs every one that there is something in him which is absolutely imperishable and indestructible 
indeed the freshness and vividness of memories of the most distant time of earliest childhood bears witness to the fact that something in us does not pass away with time does not grow old but endures unchanged but what this imperishable element is one could not make clear to oneself it is not consciousness any more than it is the body upon which clearly consciousness depends but it is just that which when it appears in consciousness presents itself as will beyond this immediate manifestation of it we certainly cannot go because we cannot go beyond consciousness therefore the question what that may be when it does not come within consciousness that is what it is absolutely in itself remains unanswerable in the phenomenon and by means of its forms time and space as principium individuationis what presents itself is that the human individual perishes while the human race on the contrary always remains and lives but in the true being of things which is free from these forms this whole distinction between the individual and the race also disappears and the two are immediately one the whole will to live is in the individual as it is in the race and therefore the continuance of the species is merely the image of the indestructibility of the individual since then the infinitely important understanding of the indestructibility of our true nature by death depends entirely upon the distinction between phenomenon and thing in itself i wish now to bring this difference into the clearest light by explaining it in the opposite of death thus in the origin of the animal existence that is generation for this process which is just as mysterious as death presents to us most directly the fundamental opposition between the phenomenal appearance and the true being of things that is between the world as idea and the world as will and also the entire heterogeneity of the laws of these two the act of procreation presents itself to us in a twofold manner first for self-consciousness whose only object as i have often shown is the will with all its affections and then for the consciousness of other things that is the world of idea or the empirical reality of things now from the side of the will thus inwardly subjectively for self-consciousness that act presents itself as the most immediate and complete satisfaction of the will that is as sensual pleasure from the side of the idea on the other hand thus externally objectively for the consciousness of other things this act is just the woof of the most cunning of webs the foundation of the inexpressibly complicated animal organism which then only requires to be developed to become visible to our astonished eyes this organism whose infinite complication and perfection is only known to him who has studied anatomy cannot from the side of the idea be otherwise conceived and thought of than as a system devised with the most ingenious forethought and carried out with the most consummate skill and exactness as the most arduous work of profound reflection but from the side of the will we know through self-consciousness the production of this organism as the work of an act which is exactly the opposite of all reflection an impetuous blind impulse an exceedingly pleasurable sensation this opposition is closely related to the infinite contrast which is shown above between the absolute facility with which nature produces its works 
together with the correspondingly boundless carelessness with which it abandons them to destruction and the incalculably ingenious and studied construction of these very works judging from which they must have been infinitely difficult to make and their maintenance should have been provided for with all conceivable care while we have the opposite before our eyes if now by this certainly very unusual consideration we have brought together in the boldest manner the two heterogeneous sides of the world and as it were grasped them with one hand we must now hold them fast in order to convince ourselves of the entire invalidity of the laws of the phenomenon or the world as idea for that of will or the thing in itself then it will become more comprehensible to us that while on the side of the idea that is in the phenomenal world there exhibits itself to us now an arising out of nothing and now an entire annihilation of what has arisen from that other side or in itself a nature lies before us with reference to which the conceptions of arising and passing away have no significance for by going back to the root where by means of self-consciousness the phenomenon and the thing in itself meet we have just as it were palpably apprehended that the two are absolutely incommensurable and the whole manner of being of the one together with all the fundamental laws of its being signify nothing and less than nothing in the other i believe that this last consideration will only be rightly understood by a few and that it will be displeasing and even offensive to all who do not understand it but i shall never on this account omit anything that can serve to illustrate my fundamental thought at the beginning of this chapter i have explained that the great clinging to life or rather fear of death by no means springs from knowledge in which case it would be the result of the known value of life but that that fear of death has its root directly in the will out of the original nature of which it proceeds in which it is entirely without knowledge and therefore blind will to live as we are allured into life by the wholly illusory inclination to sensual pleasure so we are retained in it by the fear of death which is certainly just as illusory both spring directly from the will which in itself is unconscious if on the contrary man were merely a knowing being then death would necessarily be to him not only indifferent but even welcome the reflection to which we have here attained now teaches that what is affected by death is merely the knowing consciousness and the will on the other hand because it is the thing in itself which lies at the foundation of every phenomenon is free from all that depends upon temporal determinations thus is also imperishable its striving towards existence and manifestation from which the world results is constantly satisfied for this accompanies it as the shadow accompanies the body for it is merely the visibility of its nature that yet in us it fears death results from the fact that here knowledge presents its existence to it as merely in the individual phenomenon whence the illusion arises that it will perish with this as my image in a mirror seems to be destroyed along with it if the mirror is broken this then as contrary to its original nature which is a blind striving towards existence fills it with horror from this now it follows that that in us which alone is capable of fearing death and also alone fears it the will is not affected by it 
and that on the other hand what is affected by it and really perishes is that which from its nature is capable of no fear and in general of no desire or emotion and is therefore indifferent to being and not being the mere subject of knowledge the intellect whose existence consists in its relation to the world of idea that is the objective world whose correlative it is and with whose existence its own is ultimately one thus although the individual consciousness does not survive death yet that survives it which alone struggles against it the will this also explains the contradiction that from the standpoint of knowledge philosophers have always proved with cogent reasons that death is no evil yet the fear of death remains inevitable for all because it is rooted not in knowledge but in the will it is also a result of the fact that only the will and not the intellect is indestructible that all religions and philosophies promise a reward in eternity only to the virtues of the will or heart not to those of the intellect or head the following may also serve to illustrate this consideration the will which constitutes our true being is of a simple nature it merely wills and does not know the subject of knowledge on the other hand is a secondary phenomenon arising from the objectification of the will it is the point of unity of the sensibility of the nervous system as it were the focus in which the rays of the activity of all the parts of the brain unite with this then it must perish in self-consciousness as that which alone knows it stands over against the will as its spectator and although sprung from it knows it as something different from itself something foreign to it and consequently also only empirically in time by degrees in its successive excitements and acts and also learns its decisions only a posteriori and often very indirectly this explains the fact that our own nature is a riddle to us that is to our intellect and that the individual regards itself as having newly arisen and as perishable although its true nature is independent of time thus is eternal as now the will does not know so conversely the intellect or the subject of knowledge is simply and solely knowing without ever willing this can be proved even physically in the fact that as was already mentioned in the second book according to bichat the various emotions directly affect all parts of the organism and disturb their functions with the exception of the brain which can only be affected by them very indirectly that is just in consequence of those disturbances de la vie et de l'amour article six section two but from this it follows that the subject of knowledge for itself and as such cannot take part or interest in anything but for it the being or not being of everything nay even of its own self is a matter of indifference now why should this purely neutral being be immortal it ends with a temporal manifestation of the will that is the individual as it arose with it it is the lantern which is extinguished when it has served its end the intellect like the perceptible world which exists only in it is a mere phenomenon but the finiteness of both does not affect that of which they are the phenomenal appearance the intellect is the function of the cerebral nervous system but the latter like the rest of the body is the objectivity of the will therefore the intellect depends upon the somatic life of the organism but this itself depends upon the will the organized body may thus in a certain sense be regarded as the link between the will and the intellect 
although really it is only the will itself exhibiting itself spatially in the perception of the intellect death and birth are the constant renewal of the consciousness of the will in itself without end and without beginning which alone is as it were the substance of existence but each such renewal brings a new possibility of the denial of the will to live consciousness is the life of the subject of knowledge or the brain and death is its end and therefore finally consciousness is always new in each case beginning at the beginning the will alone is permanent and moreover it is it alone that permanence concerns for it is the will to live the knowing subject for itself is not concerned about anything in the ego however the two are bound up together in every animal existence the will has achieved an intellect which is the light by which it here pursues its ends it may be remarked by the way that the fear of death may also partly depend upon the fact that the individual will is so loath to separate from the intellect which has fallen to its lot through the course of nature its guide and guard without which it knows that it is helpless and blind finally this explanation also agrees with the commonplace moral experience which teaches us that the will alone is real while its objects on the other hand as conditioned by knowledge are only phenomena are only froth and vapour like the wine which mephistopheles provided in auerbach's cellar after every sensuous pleasure we also say and yet it seemed as i were drinking wine the terrors of death depend for the most part upon the false illusion that now the ego vanishes and the world remains but rather is the opposite the case the world vanishes but the inmost kernel of the ego the supporter and producer of that subject in whose idea alone the world has its existence remains with the brain the intellect perishes and with the intellect the objective world its mere idea that in other brains afterwards as before a similar world lives and moves is with reference to the intellect which perishes a matter of indifference if therefore reality proper did not lie in the will and if the moral existence were not that which extends beyond death then since the intellect and with it its world is extinguished the true nature of things in general would be no more than an endless succession of short and troubled dreams without connection among themselves for the permanence of unconscious nature consists merely in the idea of time of conscious nature thus a world spirit dreaming without end or aim dreams which for the most part are very troubled and heavy would then be all in all when now an individual experiences the fear of death we have really before us the extraordinary nay absurd spectacle of the lord of the worlds who fills all with his being and through whom alone everything that is has its existence desponding and afraid of perishing of sinking into the abyss of eternal nothingness while in truth all is full of him and there is no place where he is not no being in which he does not live for it is not existence that supports him but he that supports existence yet it is he who desponds in the individual who suffers from the fear of death for he is exposed to the illusion produced by the principium individuationis that his existence is limited to the nature which is now dying 
this illusion belongs to the heavy dream into which as the will to live he has fallen but one might say to the dying individual thou ceasest to be something which thou hast done better never to become so long as no denial of the will takes place what death leaves untouched is the germ and kernel of quite another existence in which a new individual finds itself again so fresh and original that it broods over itself in astonishment what sleep is for the individual death is for the will as thing in itself it would not endure to continue the same actions and sufferings throughout an eternity without true gain if memory and individuality remain to it it flings them off and this is lethe and through this sleep of death it reappears refreshed and fitted out with another intellect as a new being a new day tempts to new shores end of chapter forty one part six recording by expatriate in bangor maine